This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. You have open before you, I trust, your Bibles in Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, we're going to focus on the first three verses of this chapter. This is a wonderful chapter, chapter 12. It follows the, um, the chapter that has all of our Old Testament heroes in it. And, uh, and then when we come to chapter 12, I believe that chapter 12, you know, in the original manuscripts, well, the, the New Testament, you know, was written in the Greek language. And in the original autograph, uh, there were no chapter and verse divisions. Uh, they came along several centuries later, and, um, and to our advantage, actually, that uh, somebody took the time to break that down because it helps us find things better. But the truth is, chapter 12 is a run-on from chapter 11. And that's the case in a lot of the chapters in the Bible. But uh, when you consider all of these heroes of faith that are mentioned in chapter 11, and then come to chapter 12 and read these first, particularly the first three verses, it says this, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, and I believe that's a reference back to chapter 11 where we have listed all of those heroes of the faith, uh, that are cataloged there from the Old Testament. Seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. And there's much that we can learn from those, that cloud of witnesses. And uh, it says, um, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher, completer of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds." And as we read these verses, it uh, speaks so much to us about our Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that, I believe Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. There's some controversy about that. His name is not attached to this book uh, like it is some of the other of his epistles. But I believe there's evidence within the book of Hebrews that the Apostle Paul is the author of it. And, uh, and I think that that we can uh, take that to the bank. But I think Paul here is reminding, reminding us of something very, very important. He says, we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. But then he goes on to say, keep your eye on Jesus Christ. And that's where we should be focused on the Lord Jesus. And I thank God for godly men that have had an impact upon my life. <laughs> And many of you uh, have experienced the same thing, probably all of you, that there's been some godly person uh, in your life, whether it was a, a mother or dad or a preacher or evangelist or somebody of a godly standing that's had an impact upon your life. 
And uh, I was talking, Jan and I were talking yesterday about a certain situation that um, when, a, when, a per, when a Christian who's in a place of leadership falls, unfortunately that happens. Uh, in fact, it happens too frequently, I think. But when some, somebody that's in a place of leadership Particularly, well, it happens in any case because we, none of us live to ourselves and none of us die to ourselves. Paul tells us in the book of Romans. All of us are impacting somebody, all of us. It doesn't make, anything, it doesn't make any difference where you stand in life as a Christian. There's somebody looking at you. You're a cloud of witness to somebody and, and they're looking at you. And... Uh, and you're having an impact upon their life. But as John, Jan and I were talking yesterday, uh, when a Christian falls, particularly someone who's in a place of leadership, and we were talking particularly about a pastor in this case, that uh, when he fell, there was an impact upon many lives. There were some people that dropped out of church. There were some people that got so discouraged that they, uh, you hardly find them in church anymore. But you know what was wrong there? That's not the fault of the Christian that fell. That's their fault because they had their eye on the wrong person. And I believe that's the reason why Paul tells us here, <clears throat> talking about this great cloud of witnesses that we've read about, do you realize that some of these great cloud of witnesses are part of that great cloud of witnesses? That some of them that are listed there, they didn't live perfect lives. Look at Rahab. She's listed there. She was a harlot. But she came face to face with the fact of her sin and she got right with God. And that not only changed her life, but it impacted other lives as well. And the people can change. There can be a, a major change that takes place in their life. And so <clears throat> we're, all, we're all just flesh. We're, pot, we're, we're, we're earthen vessels. Paul tells us we're earthen vessels. I like what Jim Benny used to, how Jim Benny used to interpret that. He says we're crack pots. And that's just about what we are, isn't it? Cracked pots. That's what we are. We're imperfect. But uh, <clears throat> when, when, when sometimes when a Christian falls, it so impacts other people who had their eyes upon them that it, it, it just has a negative impact upon their relationship with the Lord. And I believe that Paul understood that when he wrote this. He says here, we're gathered, we're gathered around about with such a great cloud of witnesses, but he says, Keep your eye on the Lord. Keep your eye on Jesus. And that's what we should do. If you're disappointed in somebody that maybe has let you down in their Christian life, uh, did something, said something, offended you somehow, and, and, and you've allowed that to have an impact upon your life, it's not really the fault of the person that fell. It's your fault. It's my fault. And uh, because we just had our eyes fixed on the wrong person. And uh, we have to understand that, that in these frail, human, 
bodies, these cracked pots, uh, that we're going to have problems. And by, God, by the grace of God, we won't. And that's simple, that, that, that whole theme is, is kind of the idea of our, of our lesson this morning. It's called a season to press on. And that's what we really need to do. We've just gone through the Christmas season and other holiday seasons. It's history now. And as the days speed on and this new year begins, many of us are considering changes that we want to make to our lives. I hate to admit this, but I gained about six pounds between Thanksgiving and today. I stepped on the scales this morning and got off of it real fast. <laughs> I accused it of lying to me, but I know it wasn't. <laughs> and uh, so I need to... I need to start losing some weight again. And uh, I lost about 20 pounds, and I've gained a little bit of it back. I, I need to be careful. I noticed Jan put a coupon on, on, on my dresser this morning for the, that, that buffet. What's it called? Huh? Buffet City, you know. And all that food in there. Well... <clears throat> Uh, buffets are my downfall, generally speaking, unless I have enough character and discipline to discipline myself. And, uh, but I intentionally left it on my dresser today because I, I really don't want to go there, babe. <laughs> if, you if you insist, you, you, you go ahead, I'll meet you at home. Now I'll come fellowship with you. So, so you know, so I've, I've got to make some alterations. I've got to lose that six pounds I've put on, you know, and then take some more off. But anyway, we've, we've, all, we've all made some decisions, probably in the, in the wake of this New Year's, that um, we're going to do this or that. We're going to lose some weight, uh, do a better job with our life, with our relationship, with our, so forth. And... Um, and, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that, but the, the, but the problem with it actually is that too, uh, too often uh, this, uh, this idea of the new year, new you craze, craze is not very long lasting. In fact, the, the statistics are that uh, in the past years, that shows us that almost 25% of people who make New Year's resolutions don't keep them through the first week of January. So, how are you doing? <laughs> All right. Throughout the Bible, there are illustrations to help us to understand the nature of the Christian life. For example, in 2 Timothy, we're told there that the Christian life is described as a war, and we're to be good soldiers. In fact, it's in chapter 2 and verse 3 of the 2 Timothy. It says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier, Jesus Christ. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul presents the Christian life as a boxing match. And here's the way he says it, I therefore so run, not uh, uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. In other words, he says, I make the punches count. Got to make the punches count. Can't just go out there and beat the air, you know. We come here to this uh, chapter, chapter 12 in the book of Hebrews, and here we have a picture of an arena where there's a track and field athletes that are, that are all 
gathered together and circled in a great host of spectators, uh, much like the Olympic Games. And the runners are believers. They're experiencing their trials of their faith and some even persecution. You know, Paul understood what persecution was all about. He was in prison, by the way, in the, in the Mamertine prison that was not very far away from the Roman Colosseum where those Olympic games were conducted a lot of times. And so, and uh, where many Christians suffered and were martyred. And Paul, and Hel Paul himself experienced many, uh, many severe trials in his life so, so that when he came down to the end of his life, recorded there in the fourth chapter of his second epistle to his preacher boy, Timothy, he said this, he said, for I'm now ready to be offered for the time of my departure is at hand, but I fought a good fight. I finished my course and I've kept the faith. Isn't it wonderful that Paul had the testimony that he ended well? And um, most of us are probably near the end of our life. In just a few days, I'll be 84 years old. And uh, I don't have the same stamina, agility. I can't do the same things I, I did 10, 20, 30 years ago. It just doesn't happen anymore. In fact, it takes me a little while just to bend over and pick up something off the floor. Some of you, uh, any of you having that problem? <laughs> yeah. And uh, my doctor told me I should walk with a cane I looked at him and said, Doc, I know I'm an old man, but I don't want to act like one. <laughs> and he said, get over it. <laughs> I'm trying to. All right. Anyway, um, if you plan on doing anything for the Lord for the rest of your life, um, especially in this coming year, we too have to lace up and get on the track and enter the race to do something for God. We have to accept the great privilege at the beginning of this year uh, with God during, uh, during the, uh, do, uh, doing that which, uh, which we know that God has in store for us. Uh, we need to get with it. Many try to predict what's gonna happen in our country or during the course of this year. The truth is that no one knows what's, what's gonna happen this year, not our government, not the media, not the so-called economic or climate change experts. They don't know anything. Uh, I could park there for a few minutes, but I won't waste the time. Our course is only known by God. What happens to us, for us and through us, in this coming year will not take God by surprise. God's, God has it all planned. Now, I'm not a Calvinist, and when I come to the, year, uh, the end of the year, I'm not going to say, okay, sirrah, sirrah, what will be has been, you know, um, because we all have responsibility to fulfill God's plan, God, but God has a plan for all of us, and uh, we need to get on the track, on the racetrack, and, and run the race right, okay? You say, well, preacher, I'm at the age where I can't run anymore. Well, so am I. But the truth is that we can move on for God. It doesn't make any difference how old we are. 
I, I don't know who the oldest person is in here. I probably, it's probably Cherry, and I'm not sure. Oh, Ron, Ron. Oh, Ron's older than Dirk. <laughs> I forgot about that. Huh? What'd you say? Don't forget, watch your tongue. What did you say? You're not speaking. I don't blame you. I wouldn't either if I was in your position. But uh, <clears throat> how did I, what was I, what was I saying? That's another problem with getting old. You forget what you were saying. <laughs> uh, I was talking about, it um, uh, doesn't, doesn't make any difference how old we are. We still, God's not finished with us yet. If you can breathe, if you got out of bed this morning and, and stood on your two feet, uh, that's one indication that God's not finished with you yet. You still have some things to do for God. And, um, and, and we need to end well. Even though we can't do what we used to be able to do, we still need to end well. And uh, that's what Paul was talk, talking to us here. And we have to prepare for that. And that brings us to Roman numeral number one in the outline. The preparation for the race. Verse one, let's look at verse one again. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which thus so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that's before us. Some good advice there in that verse. So as we prepare for this race of our Christian life for this year ahead of us, we have to first of all consider two important things that Paul points out for us here in this verse. And the first one is this, letter A, remove the hindrances. There's a lot of those hindrances that pop up during the course of our, our run, our race. And Paul says, get rid of them, remove them. Um, the first century Greek Olympic runners, they typically wore robes as everybody else did as daily attire. attire. Uh, they didn't wear pants and shirts and ties and things like we do, um, but they wore, they wore robes. That was the common attire of the day. Uh, they were long flowing garments but they had to be set aside for a race. Although they were necessary for the daily life, the robes were, they were a weight, they were unhelpful, they were cumbersome for running a race, and so Paul says set them aside. They're besetting sins. And while we no longer wear robes as public attire today, today's Olympic athletes, they still had to set aside certain activities, some habits they have in order to focus on training so that they can perform better as contenders in the games. Now we can apply that to our Christian life and that's the reason why Paul wrote it, is for us to apply it to our Christian lives. There are many things in our lives that have to be set aside if we want to run a proper race and run it effectively. Uh, while not all of these things are necessary or sinful, there are things in our lives that we do and we get involved in. They're not necessarily sinful, but, but, but they become weights that we have put aside. As a pastor, when I was pastoring, there were a lot of things I could do that were good things, but they weren't the right things. 
And you've experienced that, Kirk, on the mission field. And Kathy, as you served there. And Doris, as you served as missionary. Anybody that serves uh, in the field of, of ministry in any way, but even in our own personal Christian life. There are things that come across our desk, so to speak, uh, that are good things, but they're not necessarily what God wants us to get involved in because they become weights to hold us, hold us back from doing what God wants us to do. I'll give you some illustrations of that a little later. But anyway, uh, there are activities, there are things, there are passions uh, that, uh, that have to go if we're going to run a race for the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22, Paul put it like this. He says, put off concerning the former conversation. You know that word conversation in, uh, in our Bible, uh, in the King James Bible, has a different meaning in many places where it's found than, having, than talking to somebody. It literally means a con uh, our lifestyle, a lifestyle, conversation, the way we live. Put off concerning the former lifestyle, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. There's some things that we have to get rid of, some baggage we have to throw out of our life in order to, in order to um, carry on for the Lord. Let me give you an illustration. As the army of Alexander the Great was advancing on Persia, uh, it, it seemed that one critical point that the troops might be defeated. And here's why. Um, his men complained, well, excuse me, I got jumped ahead of paragraph here. They had taken so much spoil from their previous campaigns that they were weighted down by everything they were carrying, losing their effectiveness in combat. They had a lot of things they were carrying around. And so Alexander saw that, and so he commanded them to take all those spoils from their previous batter, uh, battles, throw them in a pile, and burn them. And his men complained, but they soon saw the wisdom of his order. Uh, with his instructions, with his insistence, uh, his men, they ridded themselves of all those weighty things and he assured them victory in the battle. And someone even wrote this. It was as if wings had been given to them. They walked lightly again. And they were able to win the battle. And sometimes we get defeated in the battle because we got a lot of baggage. We get weighted down. And uh, we, get, we get involved in things that are not, uh, they're important things. But they're not what God's called us to do. They're not what God wants us to do. Certain habits, hobbies, friendships, activities, they commonly creep into our lives that are, that are nothing more than clutter. Uh, they weigh us down by occupying our time and our mental focus. Uh, and uh, that, uh, that should be given, to, that, that, that focus and that time should be given more fully to the responsibilities and the opportunities that the Lord gives us to serve Him. We must set aside everything that will hold us back from advancing for God. Any sin or just plain old clutter that keeps us from being who God wants us to be will keep us from being, be, being renewed in the spirit of our mind, according to Ephesians 4.23. 
and it'll draw our minds from, our, from being focused on Him. Paul says, keep your eye on Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And so we have to, we have to set aside those certain things. We have to remove the hindrances. And then letter B, repent. Repent from sin. The word repent literally means to change your mind or to turn away from something. It means to do a 180 degree turn. Oh, 180 degrees would be like this one. Just turn around. Now change your mind. And uh, if, if you're to run a good race, you not only have to remove the hindrances, but you've got you to turn from sin. You've got to repent of it. In verse 1 it says, Let us lay aside every weight and sin that does so easily beset us. Do you have a besetting sin? Think for a moment. What is a besetting sin? That's the sin that easily besets us. The sin that constantly discourages us and brings us shame. It's the one that we continually go back to in spite of knowing that it's always going to bring trouble. You have a sin like that in your life? Paul would call that a besetting sin. It takes repentance, folks. You've got to turn away from it. That's a deliberate act. Repentance is a deliberate act on our part to turn away from it. And uh, you ask God to take it away from you. God says, well, turn away from it. God, take this sin out of my life. God says, no, you repent of it. Turn away from it. Turn away from it. And uh, so, so we have to do that. Many Christians deal with besetting sins such as pride, uh, procrastination, and that's just, that's just two examples. There are so many more. These, sin and, these sins and others hinder us from, from going on for God and winning the race. But rather we must make up our minds in this new year to put aside these sins so that we have no, no distractions from the race. The psalm writer put it like this. This is Psalm 18, 23. It's on, it's on the screen. The psalm writer had it right when he said, I keep myself from mine iniquities. You know, that's a little different than saying, God, would you take this away from me? Isn't it? I believe David wrote that psalm. I'm not sure. I think that was a psalm of David. And David said, I keep myself from my sins, from my iniquities. David repented. He would turn away from his own iniquities, realizing the problem they were in his life. And so don't just pray that God would take it away from you. Pray that God will give you the grace and the courage and the, and the, and, and the discipline for you to turn away from it. And God will bless that. If there's a besetting, besetting sin that you need to turn away from today, the good news is that sin doesn't have to be the winner. Repent of it. Ask God for cleansing, for healing. Determine to live rightly before Him. If you've tried this in the past and you struggle with it to, to gain the final victory and it's a constant strain, 
a struggle with you, share, share that struggle with some godly person. Not just anybody, but go to some godly person, your pastor, maybe, maybe your wife, your husband, or, or, uh, or, or someone else that you trust who's a godly person. Go with them and tell them about it and ask them to pray with you and help you to be accountable, uh, for you to be accountable to them for this so that you can get victory in your life. Sometimes it takes that for us to be accountable to somebody else that we know loves us, cares for us, and will not be disappointed in us because we have a besetting sin, but rather will have enough discernment, Christian discernment and love for us to help us to, to get the victory over it. It'll work. And so that brings us to the second main point. First is preparation. Secondly is the pace of the race. The pace of the race. You know, running is an intimidating sport to some people. And it's not the running that's frightening. After all, that's what we're made to do, you know. <clears throat> One of the first things a little, a little child does when they learn how to walk is they start running. And uh, sometimes mom can't keep up to them. Uh, they run, you know. We're made for that. And so it's not necessarily that that's the problem. The problem is the pace of our running. Um, the hang up with many people is the pace. They become overwhelmed thinking, well, sure, I, surely I can make it to the mailbox or maybe to the end of the street, but what am I going to do beyond that? Now, that's probably our thinking, you know, at our age. <laughs> you know, I can go this far, but uh, how, how much farther can I go? Well, you know, set a pace. It's amazing how far you can go if you'll pace yourself. Uh, sometimes we fail to set the proper goals we should for the, for the new year. Um, goals like our personal devotions or having a closer-knit family or reading the Bible. I hope you've taken pastor's challenge this year to read through the Bible. You've got a reading schedule, I trust me. And it takes discipline to read through the Bible. And uh, uh, by God's grace, and I don't say this to be braggadocious about it, but by God's grace for the last 60 years, I've read through the Bible every year. And some years I've read through it twice. Uh, that takes discipline to do that because there are a lot of things, a lot of those besetting sins that can keep us from that. You know what one of my besetting sins is? Uh, I, I think I told you last week that my practice is I eat breakfast and then uh, after I eat breakfast, I sit at the table and read my Bible long enough for my body to kind of, you know, level off and then I take my blood pressure. And then from there, I go up to my office, which is a room over the garage in our home, to, uh, to pray. I spend time in prayer. And you know, one of the things I have to battle is between the breakfast table and my office to keep something from distracting me from going up to my office to pray. You know, there have been there have been days, I, now this is confession time. 
Uh, it's her confessional here. Uh, this is confession time. But it does us all to confess once in a while. Uh, <clears throat> sometimes I've gotten distracted between the breakfast table and my office and got involved in something else and find myself in the middle of the afternoon thinking, you know, I never spent that time in prayer with the Lord and have to go back and spend that time with the Lord. You ever done that? Yeah. Let me ask you this. How many of you have fallen asleep reading the Bible? Yeah. Not at the breakfast table. I haven't done that. But uh, anyway. All right. The pace. Um, we, have to, we have to keep up a proper pace. God will not test us beyond what we're able to handle. His pace is sustainable. And, uh, and, and, uh, and his design for the goal uh, is that the race be obtainable. It can be. He wants everybody to be a winner. So letter A, it's a set pace. Notice again verse 1, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. See that little word set? It's set before us. You notice that this run, uh, God has put it there for us. It's a specific race. By the way, the word that's translated run there is the, it's the Greek word uh, trepo, treko, Greek word treko, from which we get our English word track. The English word track comes from that. And uh, just as lanes on a racetrack are predetermined, so are the tracks of our race, our life's race, predetermined as well. And so number one, our course is set. Have you ever noticed the design of a running track, a racetrack? Have you ever watched a race on, on uh, TV or, or, or in high school? Remember back in high school when you, uh, maybe some of you were on a track team, or at least you've seen a track where people run. Anybody, anybody not seen one of those? Well, you know how they're designed. Uh, many of them are oval, some of them are round, um, but there's lines painted on those tracks all the way around. And when runners run, they have to stay within the lines of their track. They can't move over to the next track or they'll be disqualified. And, and the reason for that is because not all those tracks, because of the design of the oval, uh, they're all the same length, but they don't all start at the same line and end at the same line. And here's one runner in the, in, on the inside track that he, he may be ahead of the guy that's over here in the second track, but he may not be the one who's actually ahead in the race. And here's another track over here, another guy running in this track, and he might behind, be behind the next two, but he may be ahead in the race. That's just the way those tracks are designed. And, um, and, but they're all the same length. They're, they're, they're measured out, they're all the same length. And uh, the one that goes, the one that's ahead at the end of the race may actually not be the winner of the race because he may not finish his, 
He, he may, somebody else may have finished their racetrack before the other guy did. Are, are, is that making sense to you? If you were ever on a track team, you know what I'm talking about. Well, you know, <clears throat> God has designed our lives like that. We're on different tracks. We're not, on the, we're not running a race on the same track. God has a track for you. He has another one for you, another one for you, another one for me. But you know what we do? Sometimes we're running this race and we see somebody over here that's a little ahead of us. And so we get discouraged because we see the guy ahead of us. But you know, the truth is you may be ahead of him and not really realize it. But you're running in your track and you're doing what you're supposed to do in your track. And if you'll stay in your track and, key, and, and, and pace yourself and, and stay there and be consistent, run it with patience, you may come out the winner. But you know what we like to do? We like to compare ourselves with some other Christian. You know Paul dealt with that in the scriptures. Here's what he read, he wrote, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves by themselves are not wise. <coughs> Do you realize that God may have something different in mind about you in running your track than he does the guy next to you? And sometimes we begin comparing ourselves with the person in the pew in front of us or behind us, some other Christian, and not realizing that God's got a different track for that person than he's got for you. If you just run your track the way God wants you to run it and be consistent and patient in it, in, that, in your track, your, the plan that God has for your life, you'll come out the winner. Every time, you'll come out the winner. And the guy that's sitting in front of you in the pew, if he'll run his race the way God wants him to run his, he'll come out a winner as well. And the same is true with the guy sitting behind you. And so we need to be careful about comparing ourselves with other people. Um, some Christians love to tell other Christians how they should run their course, particularly if they've experienced some small measure of success themselves. But as we run, we should keep in mind that, in, that if, we're doing, if we're doing well, it's not of our doing anyway, it's God's doing. And we therefore give him the glory and keep, and keep running, just keep running. And, uh, and if we're not as far down the track as the runner next to us, we should keep our, our gaze steadfastly fixed upon our goal, which in our case is Jesus Christ. And our course, our course is between us and him, not between us and the Christian in the next pew. Um, don't compare yourselves with other Christians. Just make sure you're doing what God wants you to do. And don't necessarily try to tell other Christians how they should be living their life. Told the Galatian church, uh, he said, um, 
Uh, ye which are spiritual, if you see, uh, see another brother uh, that needs some help, help him. Remember that? And there are times when we need to help other Christians along. Uh, but don't compare their race with your race and, and with other Christians, okay? And that takes us to number two, our completion is set. The completion of the race is set. Not only is the course set, but the completion is set as well. No, no one runs forever. Every day is a gift from God, and there is a set length of the course that we're given here on earth. James tells us that in verse 14 of chapter 4, he says this, Whereas you know not what shall be on the, on the mar, for what is your life? It's even as a vapor, appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. Uh, God's not given us much time here on earth, especially us. You know, uh, most of us have lived most of our lives already, except this little guy sitting here. He's got most of his life ahead of him yet. But the rest of us in here, most of our life is behind us. But we still have some life. And God still has a purpose in our life, and, a, and, and he still has something for us to do. And we should be doing it. Uh, Paul was well aware of the fact that, uh, that the only life worth living was the one in which he ran a good race each day for the glory of God. Again, going back to 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said this. He says, I'm now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. Paul had come to the end of his track. I fought a good fight. I finished the course, kept the faith. Henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. Paul wasn't singling himself out here. He says, I'm not the only one that's run a good race. I'm not the only one that's finished the course. I'm not the only one that's kept the, kept the faith. The truth is that there's a crown of righteousness for all of us who do that. Isn't that encouraging? Uh, we all have the crown at the end of the race. It wasn't just Paul that had it. It's all of us who are faithful to him. So life is short especially for us. Live it to its fullest for Jesus Christ. Don't squander the time that you have on earth trying to, do, trying to run somebody else's course or, or comparing yourself with others. Rather, invest your life wisely in the course that God has set for you and not let her be. It's a steady pace, a steady pace. We're not only instructed to run, but we're also instructed how to run. He says, let us run with patience. Um, that's a virtue that most of us need to learn, is patience. And be very frank with you, uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a virtue that I'm still trying to learn, is to be patient. We have to learn it. Runners training for a marathon are often advised to keep a steady, uh, gradual, a steady pace, slowly, Begin, so to begin slowly, gradually adding miles to their weekly runs to keep a constant pace to avoid early burnout. And uh, while sprinting is, a suitable, is suitable for covering short distances quickly, doing that in a longer race will only result in fatigue and failure. 
So we have to learn to pace ourselves even in our course of our spiritual lives. Just as in a marathon, the Christian's race is one, one step at a time. It was not meant to be a sprint. And that pace is unsustainable for, uh, for a lifetime. We have to just take our pace. Uh, we must find a steady pace and be patient to keep it. Uh, we don't have to read the whole Bible in, uh, by the end of January. We don't have to develop a lifetime habit of personal devotions in a single week. You just have to keep on. Keep putting one foot in front of another. And if we're patient and we're faithful, although each day may not be may be a slow and may, may not show impressive progress. But by the time of this next year, by the time, by this time next year, it'll be amazed, you'll be amazed at what you'll accomplish. Um, I'd like to be able to sit down and read the Bible in a day. Frankly, I'm a slow reader anyway. I don't read real fast. And, uh, <clears throat> You know those closed captions you can turn on the TV? Uh, these things go so fast I can't read them. Uh, I don't know if you have that problem or not, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a slow reader, so I just have to take my pace, take a pace. And you know what? <clears throat> this is, I believe, one of the main reasons why Paul instructs, Paul's instructions for ordaining pastors that we find in, we find in uh, 1 Timothy chapter Chapter 3, um, if any man desire the office of a bishop, it says there, he desires a good thing. And then Paul gives a listing of qualifications for pastors. And then the next section is qualifications for deacons. But I believe one of the reasons why he sets the qualification for pastor is he's not to be a novice. Um, a Christian who is placed in Christian leadership prematurely, that is, before he has grown significantly in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, he'll be overcome by the task and he'll be lifted up with pride, as Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3. And he'll fall into the condemnation of the devil in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 6, he tells us. If, he, if, we, if we put him in a place of leadership, and he's not ready for that. He hasn't taken enough steps. He hasn't grown enough. He's not on the same track spiritually as the man who has been saved longer and has grown more in his spiritual life. He must be patient in his spiritual development. Don't ever expect a newly saved Christian to act and talk just like you do who've been saved for a long time. The Holy Spirit's just beginning his work in that Christian He's been working on you for a long time. You know, this is something that I had to learn as a young pastor. I used to be, I used to be very impatient uh, with Christians that didn't talk like and act like I did. Were you ever there, Kirk? Yeah. And as a young preacher, as a young pastor, sometimes I would, uh, I would unwisely say some, some things to young Christians that didn't help them at all, uh, even from the pulpit. 
until I heard a preacher one time uh, preach in a pastor's fellowship something that I really needed to hear. It's found in the book of Ephesians. I'm going to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I'll show it to you. And uh, he was preaching on, on pastors how, uh, about what a pastor should do and how he should act and, and so on. And uh, the fact is that he and I had been classmates in college. But he preached something very wisely. He said, uh, pastors, he said, do you realize the Bible says this? He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors, teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. And he says, you know what our job is as pastors? Is to perfect the saints. And he says, God wants us to, to, get, to, to go to a Christian where he is in his spiritual life and help him to become what God wants him to be. Perfecting the saints. Well, I expected all saints to be perfect. You know? And I treated them like that. And I hurt some of them by treating them like that. But when I came to that profound knowledge and understanding that my job as a pastor was not to expect every Christian, newborn Christians as well as older Christians to act alike and say the same things and, and, and talk alike. Well, I'd hear Christians curse. And that bothered me significantly. Young Christians, people that didn't know any better, you know. My job was to teach him, take him from where he was as a new Christian and help him to grow in grace and knowledge to where God wanted him to be. And when I learned that, that revolutionized my ministry. It helped me a lot. And uh, don't expect young Christians uh, to, uh, to be exactly like you are. That's, uh, that's where you as an older Christian com can come in to help them. And that's not running their track, but that's helping them to grow in grace and in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And that's what we need. That word patience is a noun. It means steadfastness, endurance. Uh, Thayer says this in his Greek lexicon, English lexicon. He says this word patience means in the New Testament, this is the characteristic of a man who is unswerving, from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even, by, by even the greatest trials, uh, by even the greatest trials and sufferings. God brings these things to us, these trials and these sufferings to teach us how to be patient, to run with patience this life that he's called us to. Now, no matter how difficult trials may be, God can use them to strengthen us. Things may, uh, things may uh, threaten to derail our progress or, or to distract us from, from our purpose. But be patient. Determined to be, to be, uh, to be determined to not be swayed uh, from your purpose. God has a plan. It's not a plan intended to cause you grief and harm. It's a plan to develop you for your good and for his glory 
into the person that God made you to be. Don't despair when God brings disappointments and, and brings uh, uh, trials into your life. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse testings. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. In fact, James tells us in chapter 5 and verse 8, he says, Be ye patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. I'm running out of time here, and you're going to have to read the rest of this on your own. So let me, let me at least get, to, get the, point, uh, get the uh, blanks filled in for you. Roman numeral number 3 is the pursuit of our race. This is, this is verse 2. The pursuit of our race. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. I had just read that verse this morning when I started praying, and I said, I came into God's presence and said, Lord God, I thank you for the, the privilege of coming into, before your throne today and before Jesus Christ seated at your right hand. And so there's the pursuit of the race. We've already seen that we're not in this race as a, a, for a temporary or a corrupt prize like a medal, gold medal. But we, we run for something far more valuable and permanent than that. Uh, and the prize is the Lord Jesus Christ. We're never run, we, we are ever running after him. So letter A, we are pursuing a person, Jesus Christ. Paul wrote that the, Paul wrote that, the, that the goal of his life, the primary purpose of his race, and the trials and the testing he endured were to know Christ, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. So we are pursuing a person. Uh, he endured the cross. That word endured, that's number one. Number one, he endured the cross for sinners. That word endured, that's the, that's the verb form of, uh, of the word that we just looked at uh, just, uh, just a minute or two ago, patience. Uh, it's, the, it's the word hupomino. And it literally means to remain under. It's a compound Greek word. Hupa, the first part of the word is the, is the word uh, uh, under. And the second part of the Greek word is the word remain. And put it together, it means to remain under. Remain under those trials. Remain where God puts you. Be steadfast. Endure. To remain under. Jesus endured the trials of life for us. And... Uh, <clears throat> And then, number two, he endured the contradiction of sinners. That word contradict literally means the opposition in action or in act. Opposition in action. Jesus Christ endured great opposition from those. But not only are we pursuing a person, but we're pursuing, pursuing a pattern, letter B. We're pursuing a pattern. Many things in life are easier for us if we have a pattern to follow, and the truth is that Jesus Christ is our, is our pattern. Hebrews 12, 3 says, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Uh, number one under that, we consider, we consider him as our ultimate example. 
In fact, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, present him there as an example, as a, 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 a leaving us an example, it says. Christ also suffered us, leaving us an example. And then number two, we are to consider him in his endurance. He endured the cross for us. He endured everything for us. And he indeed is our example. So you can read the rest of it. It's there in your notes. I trust that you'll take the time to read it. But um, press on. Press on. This is the occasion to press on. And uh, we have a new year. It's before us. And I trust that when we come to the end of this year, we can look back on it and say, praise God, I finished the course for this year. I finished the course that God set before me. Father God, thank you so much for the encouragement of your word. Thank you for the example that we have in Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that we will follow faithfully his example. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.